Welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, CEO of the Executive Connection. We connect leaders with a trusted network of people who help them succeed. Stephanie, it's been a while since you've had this guest on. And with the last couple of years, like the pandemic and stuff, I'm looking forward to learning a lot in this episode. And I'm really looking forward to having a robust conversation with Warren Hogan, who is our absolute economics guru. Uh, He's the managing director and founder of EQ Economics, which is a consultancy specialising in economic market and industry analysis. So Warren's an economic advisor to Judo Bank, which is an interesting specialist SME-focused lender and a regular as well in the Australian and international media. He's a columnist for the Financial Review and a contributor to Sky News. So why are we talking to Warren? Because of his wealth of experience working for New South Wales Treasury, Westpac, Credit Suisse and Zed Bank, where he was the chief economist from 2009 and 2016. And Warren is also a great friend of this podcast. So Warren Hogan, welcome to Tech Live. Thanks for having me back, Stephanie. Yeah, good to have you back. I mentioned before, it's I can't believe how long ago it was, but we spoke after the last federal election last mm-hmm. time when we were all ready to talk about the change of government and how to prepare your small business for the new world and it didn't happen. Mm. Something much bigger happened to us all mm. after that election. So we won't have a whole podcast on the election. Let's say that we're recording this before Easter in Australia. So what words of wisdom do you have to say about where we are right now? Well, in that frame, uh, there has been a lot that's happened since the last election um, and it's had profound implications for the business environment and the and the economy, yeah. um, obviously the pandemic and Really what we're facing now at Easter in 2022 is um, an incredible recovery in the economy, uh, incredible recovery in people's confidence and willingness to get out there and uh, spend, businesses to invest. And this has all, I think, really come to light just in the last six months. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's got its own challenges, as we're seeing playing out this Easter in the airports of the eastern seaboard of Australia, where labour shortages are causing Long delays, um, we're talking, hearing inflation, a lot about inflation, particularly what we're seeing overseas, which is a global phenomenon related to the pandemic. So, look, the, 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 world, the world has shifted a lot, not just in the last three years, but in the last six months. And I think uh, while the economy is very robust and strong, and this is a great opportunity for many businesses, and, and obviously because mm. they're investing, they're hiring, mm. It also comes with many challenges and I think the next couple of years are going to be an incredibly dynamic, uh, exciting, frightening uh, Mm. environment for for businesses, for for consumers. It it really is going to be one of the most interesting economic backdrops that we've probably had in this country for, for, for a generation or longer. Wow. So that's that's really interesting. And I know you were saying to me before about the thing about the economy is it's changing so quickly. Mm. So I think it's two or three weeks ago that I heard you present and you were saying all the things about why you were so optimistic about the economy. And here we are three weeks later where you're saying it's kind of pretty close to overheating. Tell us what that means. Yeah, well, I mean, they sort of go hand in hand. I'm optimistic in the sense that the economy is is, is you know, underpinned by strong demand. Mm. Um, and what we're now seeing and, and have been, you know, for much of this year is evidence that there's 
probably too much demand. Mm. And that's best evidenced by the fact that we're running out of staff, labour in the mm. whole economy. Mm. Now, some of that is is transitory, temporary, um, as we're hearing many policy-making economists call uh, inflation and so forth. And that's because COVID and restrictions and various things are, are still causing havoc. Mm. It is a reason why the airport is, is, is facing some of its strains and stresses because of isolation rules. And so some of these things will, will, will ease up over the months ahead, assuming, you know, that all goes well on the health front. But actually it looks like fundamentally what's happened is the significant efforts to support the economy through the pandemic have put so much money into the economy, so much stimulus. Mm. Um, and, and it's not just disappearing, it's, it stays in the economy. You can see record amounts of savings in the last few years. And this isn't just Australia, this is overseas as well. Mm. So I think the issue is great. It's a strong economy, great opportunity for, mm. for those that are bold and those that are, I think it's, it's an aggressive environment. Mm. Um, and, and we can talk about you know business strategies with inflation and so forth. But the reality is, is that, you know, there's still going to be great challenges for, mm. for consumers, for businesses in particular. I think this is an extraordinarily difficult environment for businesses across the board, small, medium and large. But, of course, as always, SMEs have, you know, less scale, less, you know, flexibility. So they've really got to be on their game. So I think the really sort of when we want to get to the bottom line of this is, is, is it's all about rising costs, rising inflation, and how you survive that environment. And that's the number one issue for businesses, on top of, of course, managing these labour shortage issues. Labour shortages. So let's just put some context around Sydney Airport <laughs> um, and just explain what's happening right now. Well, there's just queues out the door. They just yeah. don't have enough people to check, uh, enough staff to check people in. They don't have enough security staff to get them through the security lines. They don't have enough baggage handlers. There's baggage isn't arriving. I am confident hopeful that this is not an issue in the maintenance side uh, we do know that Qantas has had to cancel international flights for pilots um, shortages so look they're just essentially a very stressed mm. airport mm. Uh, Sydney I think is the worst but I'd say Melbourne and Brisbane are not far behind mm. you know you can't argue that you know it's not a restaurant where there was suddenly a lot of walk-ups these are bookings well, they're, made they're <laughs> bookings and as you say it speaks to that demand in the in the economy overall, oh. it's that demand for well, it's it's demand air, to air travel holiday demand yeah. for everything. I mean, yeah. you know, there's one sort of as an aside, consumer sentiment's quite soft, but consumer mm. spending strong. Now this is cost of living. There's a few things going on there. This is happening in the US as well. People are spending. They have money. Will spend. They might be worried. So they might be concerned about cost of living, but definitely there's a lot of spending going on. Melbourne Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, mm -hmm. record sporting event in Australia ever. Over 400,000 people attended. Over Is the, that right? Yeah. So Australians, it's not just a demand for stuff, mm. you know, for going out to restaurants, for mm. going on holidays. It's a demand to engage. And mm. I think this has mm. got a strong economic dimension. But, of course, this really reflects a society that bit its tongue did the right thing for two years, but it's not the way our society no, works. And, sick of it now. And, well, it just, the reality is, is that the, it, we, we really need to be, hope there's no more major health issues and viruses because we won't be able to do it again. Mm. You know, there will not be that degree of compliance. No. You know, and this country was one of the best in the world. Yeah. And in fact, I think our governments, some state governments took advantage of that and have cost themselves dearly. Uh, but it just shows you how much people want to get on with life and what a great free society we have, well, a free right. economy. For a low rule following nation, 
it was amazing what the last two years were like. So what are the implications then for business with this demand, inflation, cost of living? So, yeah, the, the, the obviously the, the, the absolute crisis point um, that's hitting many businesses, many industries is is finding staff and yeah. how to deal with that. And there's, there's always a capacity to run the staff at a harder level for a short period of time. You know, mm-hmm. we can all work hard for a few weeks, even a month. But, you know, I think that that's mm-hmm. got a shelf life and then you start to see the consequences of that. I think you're seeing that in the health in, in system now mm-hmm. where um, part of the problems in the health system in, in some states in particular is that nurses leaving after yeah. being overworked for the last few, few yeah. years. Yeah. And that could be an issue more bre- broadly. So managing your staff, getting through these, these this period where you may be understaffed and most importantly, you know, finding staff. And training mm. staff and all that. Mm. So there's that whole staff issue which has been actually around for, for almost a year. It's just getting more and more acute. Uh, it won't go away. But really the, the next sort of issue for business in Australia is how to manage their cost base. Mm. Because the staff uh, issue quickly translates into a wage issue. Absolutely. And that's only just now starting to really happen. Wages mm. don't respond quickly to the environment, particularly after 30 years where wage growth has been pretty stable. Mm. And, and that has implications for both employers and employees in the way they think about asking for more money or mm. paying more money. So that's only just really starting to come through. But there's already an existing significant shock to the cost base of many businesses across Australia. Transport, fuel, in materials, there's a big sort of inflation impulse coming through outside of the labour market. And, mm. of course, some businesses are more exposed to that than others. Mm. But ultimately, you know, things like the cost of fuel, uh, the cost of logistics, it, it, it ends up impacting just about all businesses in one way, shape or form. So that higher cost base um, is eating into profits. And, again, businesses are probably better than they've ever been at managing short-term P&L impacts, letting it flow through, you know, and different industries have different dynamics. But eventually, if it's a permanent shift, uh, which I think it's increasingly looking like it is, you have to pass that on Mm. to your customers. Because in the end, the whole economy comes back to consumers, you know, whether it's in terms of they pay for it or the savings ends up in their bank account or whatever. The economy is run for people. I mean, that's what an economy is. So I think this is the big issue for Australian business in the next 12 to 18 months is how to manage those cost pressures and how to, how to get a pay rise for themselves, how to put their prices up. Mm. And, of course, you can sit and look back at the broader business uh, environment for the last, let's call it, 10 years, and the reality is business Failure rates have been at historic lows. They've been in decline for since the middle of the last decade, since about 2015. And, of course, in the pandemic, insolvency procedures were suspended for a year. And, and then last year, although those insolvency procedures were put back in place, the ATO was pretty generous and I think the banks were showing a lot of forbearance. That environment's now shifting. And the trigger now for understanding the survivability of a business is going to be, I believe, this process of whether they can pass those higher costs on. So it's about testing your market. And that could be that someone else in your industry does it better. I, you, You're not as efficient. Uh, so you, you're not able to sell coffee for $4.50 because someone across the road can sell it for 4 Yeah. Or it's going to be that the consumer or other businesses don't want your product anymore because it's too expensive and they just the demand just disappears. Now, look, I don't envisage that to be a broad-based, widespread outcome. Uh, I just think there's going to be some businesses that aren't efficient and some businesses that 
aren't going to make it through. And that's going to be part of actually solving the labour mm. problem uh, because when businesses fail, they release staff into the economy. So it's actually quite good from a human perspective that we have a pickup in the business failure rate in a strong economy because people can then go and get jobs. They can get jobs very quickly. So that's this dynamic economy. So yep. a great way to think about it from my point of view is that the turnover of labour and capital, the foundations of how economists think about an economy, is going to pick up. Well, it is picking up right now. Um, the great resignation, staff mm. turnover mm. and this capital turnover and that capital turnover has been falling for seven or eight years. Our insolvency rates have been falling. Extracting capital out of businesses that are, haven't got a future. Mm-hmm. And now that's part of uh, a, a di- a, yeah, yeah. You, you can't sit there and argue that you want innovation and dynamicism and new technology and all these things that go on in a free and open economy and society and not be prepared to sort of let the old go. Yeah. You know? And you want to you want to have processes where that's done as smoothly and as, with as least disruption to particularly individuals as possible. So, again, it's good that it's happening in, in a, a strong, strong economy. Yeah. So you said something right at the beginning, Warren, about the next two years could be some of the most exciting and dynamic for gen- for businesses in generations. Yeah, well, we, we, we've had a, a very sta- a stable economy in many respects. Uh, there's been lots of shocks. You know, we, mm. we, you know, we hear the politicians constantly talking about how well they've navigated through the Asia crisis, the tech wreck, the GFC, yeah. you know, and, and there's no doubt that these were significant shocks. But these were shocks that were coming in at the economy in, in very specific ways, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was a trade shock, the Asia shock, or whether mm-hmm. it was a financial shock, the GFC, yeah. um, the pandemic, of course. What I'm talking about is the way the economy works and its own dynamicism. And I don't think we're going to... I think the environment we're entering into now with the big pickup in turnover of labour and capital, strong demand, probably demand exceeding supply in the broadest economic terms, we probably haven't seen since the 1980s. We certainly haven't seen the sort of inflation that's running through the system Mm. since the 1980s in this country and in the US since the 1970s, bearing in mind that the US got rid of their inflation from the 1970s in the early 80s. Mm. It took us another 10 years to do that. We still had a fair bit of inflation in the 1980s. So it's, it's it's a really, you know, unique for most business people. You, you actually, you have to be quite old to have lived through this sort so of So as, as a child <laughs> in the 80s, I must have been in kindergarten then. Well, I perhaps wasn't as attuned to the economy No, then. there's very few Did, people who had leadership positions back then. Well, I was in, I was a speech pathologist, mm. you know, didn't matter at all. That was the least of anyone's worries. How did businesses navigate it then? Because, I, well, I remember in the 80s what the interest rates were on a home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is you're hearing this actually in the in the discourse in Australia right now. Oh, the RBA can only put interest rates up like 1% or 1.5% because people are going to fold on their mortgages. In the late 1980s, people took second and third jobs mm. and they ate rice to pay their mortgage. Luxury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this could this this could be actually quite profound and because it was the interest rate at one point was the mortgage interest rate got up to around seven eight eight. That's what I thought. And credit cards were twenty two or something. Credit cards are still twenty two. All right, okay, all right. <laughs> There's a credit issue there apparently, but no mortgages. Uh, mortgage interest rates got up into the high teens. Um, right now, the mortgage rate is between two and two and a half for most mm. borrowers. 
And there's a bunch of economists in big banks who are obviously very exposed mm-hmm. to this yes. market saying that they can only go up by 1.5%. And I think this is a, another feature of the environment which we can do a podcast on in six months' time because so I don't think we need to worry about it right now. But interest rates are probably going to go up by a lot more than any of these bank economists. Well, I heard someone quote 6% the other day as shock horror and I thought I, my partner in the 80s worked at a bank so that's what our interest rate was, mm-hmm. 6%, which was just like a dream. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's I think, something that the economy is going to need to well, potentially deal with in 23 and into 24, mm. uh, as in much higher interest rates. At the moment, the, the, the challenges are different. And interest rates will go up. And mm. I think they should be going up right now because a big part of the reason we're in this situation and it's 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 – Essentially, we heard John Howard once again talk about it uh, with JobKeeper and the way the government responded to the pandemic was you've got to act, which I totally agree with. I, I, I lobbied mm. the government to act. And you have to err on the side of doing too much rather mm. than too little. They certainly did that. Mm. And what we now know, and we've been the evidence has been building for well over a year, is that they did too much. Now, yeah. the thing is no one can blame anyone for that. We had never seen this before. No. And, the, and, the, and the problems in the previous recessions, particularly the early 90s in this country, was doing too little. Mm. So no one's going to hold anyone to account for making that error. What I'm worried about is policymakers and certain types of economists who are, s- support this are trying to say it's not too much stimulus. And as they say in politics, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And that's what the Reserve Bank of Australia is doing. And that's why they've been dragging their feet on sort of recognising the new environment. And I think this is where the policy error is being made right now is not acting swiftly to withdraw some of this stimulus. Because the reality is is that that last budget from Josh Frydenberg still was stimulatory with those cost of living Mm. handouts. I'm not going to take the argument that the budget deficit is lower this year than it was last year and therefore it's t- tightening of fiscal policy. It's just, it, doesn't, it just doesn't stand up. And, of course, our interest rate is still at 0.1%. The yeah. RBA have only just in the last two weeks admitted, oh, well, maybe we should start raising rates. I mean, yeah. they have been – the Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank resigned after a 30-year career, mm. one of the finest central bankers in the world, and I've known this guy for a long time – he resigned out of the blue four weeks ago. So there's something wrong in Martin Place. They'll be reviewed by either side of politics after the election and we'll probably see some changes up there. But wow, and you heard it here first. No, I'm not sure you heard it here first. It was, <laughs> yeah. on, the, it was on the front pages of the paper. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm saying busy. why he resigned. I'm just saying it's extraordinarily <laughs> cool. No, but even the implication. Yeah. Well, the, you know, he's going off to help Twiggy. You know, with climate change and Good. hydrogen, but uh, he's, he's a very bright guy. But you know, the reality here is that um, uh, we now have an environment where it's very dynamic, lots of demand. It's creating as many problems as the opposite problem of uh, not enough demand, mm. uh, but they are different problems. And uh, I think businesses that are in a defensive posture need to be very realistic about their future, and businesses that are in an expanding posture, uh, new industry, new businesses, they want to go for it. Because this is a time to secure cheap funding. This is a time to go and invest. Um, and that's actually what's happening out there. And that's uh, why it's such an exciting environment. But th- there will be stresses and strains that emerge. I love what you've said then about being defensive versus, 
you know, opportunistic and, and really being this is a time for change and growth and innovation. And Well, if, if you think about it in terms of small business, the, one of the demographic shifts happening right now, a foundational one, is the retirement of the baby boomers. And I'm yeah. sure there's heaps of baby boomers who have small businesses and mm. those small businesses are probably going to be wrapped up rather than sold. Mm. And so, you know, they might not be registered as insolvencies or business mm. failures. But there is this process of dynamic change in the economy. And it, and because turnover and capital particularly, because our insolvency rates have been quite low for a while, it's almost like we've lost a bit of that industrial change mm. and I've got a feeling it's accelerating now and that's mm. part of this sort of exciting environment. So businesses that have been struggling for a while and are now struggling even in this environment, really need to have a long, hard think about, you know, the future. What the future is. Yeah, there's nothing – I mean, this is where people sort of criticise America and their form of capitalism, and it is quite brutal, and I think there's a lot of things that are not great about America, particularly their social welfare system. But the fact is that entrepreneurs are forgiven and business failure isn't frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that's sort of a – you want to – if you, you – we all talk about the role of innovation, technology, dynamicism – you can't have that without also accepting that that displaces old businesses. Um, yeah. And that's also at the heart of what creates wealth. Well, it's interesting when you talk about that generation because I was thinking before about the 80s actually is a long time ago mm-hmm. and a lot of people leading small businesses now will never have been through that time. Mm. They've been through either strong economic growth, positive times, everything's fine, steady as she goes. Mm-hmm small increases in salaries and so this is actually something that people have to get their head around very quickly don't they yeah and there's a number of elements to it is is the element of you know we've essentially had unemployment uh in this country where what's the rate warren do you know four percent four point oh four eight nine seven six four five seven eight two that's what i'm just saying four percent but it's normally a little bit above what the economists would call full employment so Businesses have rarely had, you know, such difficulties finding labour. I mean, there's always a problem finding certain skills in certain geographies yes. and certain industries. That's that's ubiquitous. But rarely is everyone struggling with it. So that's one issue. The other issue is pricing. So we haven't seen inflation. Mm. And and just, you know, is is a, a mid-level worker comfortable standing up and asking their boss for a 10% pay rise? Well, they haven't probably done it ever. No, is a is a is a company that's you know really trying to you know build a relationship with their customer base and solidify business relationships. Happy to put their prices up by twenty percent. So there's there's a need to be sort of courageous. There's a need to be honest and have discussions. There's a whole range of different things that you know that are happening now that probably only just sort of happened occasionally. Mm. In, in the last 30 mm. years, it all seems to be happening now. Lots of mm. difficult conversations, difficult decisions, need for some bold mm. risk-taking, this mm. sort of thing. I think the thing about this environment is doing nothing is not an option and doing nothing is actually very dangerous. And doing nothing is a, a very common human response to the world around them. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so, so where we are then, dynamic, opportunity, risk, challenge – a little bit scary. People, it just keeps coming up in this studio, people being such an, a challenge and how to manage that. What are the things that you would say to the owner or CEO of an SME 
the three or five things that they need to do right now? I think uh, it's it is an, is is to think long and hard about what is happening to their business in the last six to twelve months that is different to what their mm-hmm. what is normal, mm-hmm. and to really sort of almost be forensic about what are the different moving parts in their business that are changing. So. And then, of course, the most important things in all of this, whether you're investing and you're in financial markets or you're running a business, and is what are your working assumptions? Are they the ones you've always had um, or are they some new ones? But actually being brutally honest and questioning those literally every month. Mm. You know, there's a, we do tend to yeah, – there's a, there's a fine line, I suppose, between being showing conviction about what you want to do and falling in love with your view and being wrong. Yeah. So you've got to you got to you got to be sort of honest enough with yourself to keep questioning it. It is such a dynamic environment, and then I think the the other thing is to really one thing I've you know, I've been a lot more involved in sort of SME and mid market companies in the last few years, but having worked in a large bank or large banks is really thinking about if you haven't done it, strategic planning mm. is 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 taking a snapshot of of the business, the market, the industry for the next three to five years, getting some external help potentially, getting your top team together, whatever whatever you're doing, or even if it's just you and your small business, spending some time, maybe get a bottle of scotch on a Sunday afternoon and <laughs> and just start making notes about what Can't the, you just <laughs> picture it? Yeah. <laughs> whatever you gotta do. You know, it's all about putting this operating environment into context and trying to maximize the amount of opportunities and good decisions and bold decisions you can have and minimize the amount of bad decisions you can have, take, which could also mean not making decisions. Mm. I think that's that that's what I how I'd think about it. Uh, it's tough. A lot of a lot of SMEs are very operational. Mm. They've just got and it, it's reality. They're doing a job. They've got a lifestyle. They love it, whatever it is. Mm. But as a leader, as an owner, as a, as a CEO, what have you, I think it's an important time to take stock. And I've noticed actually in the last 18 months through my work with tech um, and judo that there is a lot of that happening, more in the mm. mid-market, of mm. course, but they are seriously sort of taking that advice about mm. putting the, the business in, the, in, a, in a strategic context. Mm. Wonderful. So much content in mm. there. We didn't even talk about the election. I don't even care. No, I'm, I'm happy to. Final note. What, yeah. what would you say? Look, it's it's uh, a very disappointing arrangement, uh, and bo- and both the major parties are are to blame. It's 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 a policy free zone. It, the policies are all bits and pieces. There's nothing profound. There's nothing visionary. You could argue the government has a vision of a of a of a of sort of trying to run a free and open and vibrant economy and some of the key planks. But the reality is they're not looking to make any tough decisions. And then I think this is the, the the big issue for me in terms of how our economy's functioning and how our government's functioning um, is we're increasingly losing the capacity to make sacrifice now for a better future. And my sense is that there are necessary sacrifices that every generation has to make or tough decisions that have to be made by every government and if you don't make them it'll eventually come back to bite you on the butt somehow and I I just get this sense that that's happening and underlying all of that is the rise of miners and independents. It's been happening for 40 years Mm. but we now have a position where in the House of Reps the primary vote potentially going to non two major parties Mm. is going to be at a record high 
and of course that means that the chance of a majority government mm. is, is is going down. We may never have a majority government mm. again in this country, or not until we have a genuine crisis when people rally behind a powerful, much needed, sensible government. But of course, minority government just means it's harder and harder to it's a headache for everyone to make the big mm. tough mm. policy choices. And 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 one thing that economics shows you in reference to public policy is is that there's always winners and losers. And, and you have to make the case and you have to communicate and I just don't see a lot of that happening at the moment. It's, it's, it's real personality stuff and, um, and I think the country is going to be worse off for it. I don't know who's going to win. Um, the government's going to, it's going to be close and as John Howard says, the Australian people don't get it wrong which I think is just a sort of a funny spin on, well, we're going to get whatever result we get. Well, well that's right. <laughs> the, the people will vote. Warren, so articulate informative, provocative, and never in love with your own point of view. (laughs) It's so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on, Steph. Discover more about tech at tech.com.au.